0: This is Real Estate Rookie Niner Niner.
1: Obviously, it worked well for me, but my goal wasn't to come in and just lowball him and lowball him. And my goal was to come in and solve his issue. And as soon as we figured out exactly what his issue was, and he started to open up, then that's when we came to terms that were fantastic for both him and me.
0: I am Ashley Kerr, and it's always like a great day when I can make Tony laugh. You, know, you should have expected that actually, though.
2: <laughs> I, I wasn't sure how you were going to play the 99. I wasn't sure if it was 99er, but the 99er, Niner, Niner, I like that even better.
0: So what's new, Tony? What's under contract this week? What have you sold? Uh, what have you bought? You know,
2: not, I think we're actually the same as last week. So we have our Joshua Tree Airbnb that's up for sale. So we uh, I think we're hopefully going to be reviewing offers here shortly on that one. And then we we have two properties under contract in Joshua Tree, both of which are rehabs. So trying to figure out how we how we kind of slowed things down a little bit so we can take those on and and, uh, dedicate the right amount of attention to them what about you how are things going
0: my property that was going we did a burr well we were going to do a burr on it but before we rented it out we had a realtor come and say i can sell it for this much and got us all excited so we decided to sell it so it's kind of like our first accidental flip we kind of built this property out to be a rental not to flip it but uh we actually got it under contract so that's super exciting yeah we had a guy come and yeah, so it's nice to have that deal done. And then New York State, it takes forever to close. Eight so years. We'll probably, yeah. yeah. So by,
2: by episode 200, we'll 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 have this actually, deal closed. Actually,
0: it'll probably be a month after this episode <laughs> airs, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. realistically. <laughs> but yeah, so that's super exciting to do that. It's actually kind of sad because I love this property so much. And the property taxes are so cheap on it because there is a landfill near it in the landfill company takes care of almost all the taxes in the area so
2: are are you guys going to 1031 into something else like is that the plan or
0: no actually we're not we've thought about it but yeah we're actually not going to do that
2: yeah okay that's good sometimes just take the gains and be happy with it right
0: yeah yeah so i don't know we'll see and i think we're both going to be uh at least in the meantime maybe working on different projects so we would have to buy something together again to mm-hmm. do that so we have to figure that out we have to figure it out yeah. we just signed a contract <laughs> last night so yeah. as of right now no we probably won't do a 1031 exchange okay and it won't be it's not going to be that huge of a gain
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: this is a twenty seven thousand dollars house they're talking about that i purchased it for so <laughs> but if you follow me on instagram at wealth rentals i will do a full whiteboard breakdown of the numbers once it gets closer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which again, we'll be in about six years from now. So just follow (laughs) follow Ashley in about six years and then we'll see how this one turns out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we had a great guest on today, right?
0: Yeah. And we've definitely, once again, everybody, we used it to our benefit to get questions (laughs) answered that we wanted to know. So our guest today has started out doing a flip and then to a rental and then to a mobile home park and I can't do math in my head, but how many times did he triple, quadruple the number of pads in his mobile home units from one or from one park to the other? So super great growth and scaling. But Tony does a great job of asking him questions on how exactly to set up seller financing. And our guest today, Ed, he does a wonderful job of explaining those stops, what to ask, and then after you actually agree on seller financing, what happens next? So what does the paperwork look like? How is that all handled? So if you wanna learn about owner financing, this is the episode.
2: Yeah, I think the the last thing, I, I think he did a really good job of just talking through the mental aspect of starting of scaling and how he broke past some of the fears that tend to hold a lot of other rookie real estate investors back. So just lots of good gems throughout this episode.
0: Well, before we bring Ed on, make sure you guys are subscribed to our YouTube channel, Real Estate Rookie. We put out videos of the podcast every single week, and we also put out extra videos that are tailored specifically for rookie investors and what you guys need to know.
2: Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Ed, welcome to the Real Estate Ricky podcast. Happy to have you on, brother.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
2: Yeah. So I know you've got an amazing story to share, but before we start dropping all the knowledge on everybody, give us a little bit of background about yourself, Ed. How'd you get started? Where are you coming from?
1: Absolutely. So I am from Moxville, North Carolina, originally. I'm raised there, just about 45-ish minutes north of Charlotte. And yeah, background in real estate. I really, at a young age, I, I wanted to learn how to build wealth. That was pretty much it. And so I started reading books. I found a parallel in real estate. All the books I read had real estate in them, so I figured it'd be a good thing to learn. Actually, pretty much everything I learned came from Bigger Pockets. I just I started googling real estate podcasts and such, and found Bigger Pockets, and been learning ever since. And uh, I've had the had the good fortune of being able to pick up a couple of deals in my in my investment career so far.
2: Can you give us an overview, Ed, of where your portfolio is at today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have got one single family home. I have a six unit mobile home park and uh, set to close on a 51 unit mobile home park next week.
0: That is so exciting. I'm going to have so much to talk to you about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go back to the very beginning. How long did you analyze? How long did you research before you actually pulled the trigger on that very first deal?
1: So I was, I started really learning probably about 18 years old, Um, learning, learning, learning. My first deal ever was actually in South Carolina. My older brother lives there. And my first deal ever was purchased with him. There really isn't a lot to unpack on this deal. He, he pretty much called me, said, hey, I have a deal. I had had some money saved up from working. ended up giving it to him and, and we flipped that property and ended up making up pretty well on it. My first solo deal, it was about a year and a half of analyzing, 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 and uh, finally decided to pull the trigger on one.
0: With your brother on that first deal, did you guys talk about investing? Was this his first deal too, or was he kind of already into flipping houses?
1: So he actually had a mobile home park at that time. He had a small mobile home park at that time. And this was his very first flip though.
0: Okay. Awesome. Exciting. So let's talk about that partnering with your brother Sometimes people say, don't partner with family if something goes wrong. How did you guys set up your partnership and how did it work for you guys?
1: So for us, uh, we were both equity partners in the deal. He ended up handling most of the transactions since the property was down there in South Carolina where he lived. It's about two hours uh, south of where I was living at the time. But really, I gave him the money, wrote him a check, took it down, gave him the money. He ended up uh, purchasing the property from there. And uh, it was, I was 19 at the time, We had no formal agreement set up or anything. It was just kind of an understanding of what we were going to do. I'm fortunate that I come from an amazing family, so (laughs) it worked out doing that. But I also, you know, I understand that in some cases it doesn't.
0: What would be your advice to a rookie investor that's looking to do the same thing? Would you have done anything different or what are some things that worked really well having a partnership with your brother for the first time?
1: So one of the biggest things for me was it wasn't a solo deal, really. My my first solo deal came a good while after that deal, but it was really nice to have... So my older brother, he's 34-ish, so he's over a decade older than me. He has more experience in it. It was really nice to be able to do a deal with him just mostly from the learning aspect of things. So he was a little bit more knowledgeable in the nitty gritty of how, how a deal actually works. I had an overview, but he handled a lot or helped me learn a lot of those kind of things. I would also drive down there pretty much every weekend since we did most of the work ourselves, I would drive down pretty much every weekend and help him fix things. And that was once again, more more an excellent learning experience than anything.
2: I love that you leveraged partnerships uh, as a way to get started. Ash and I talk about partnerships a lot. We both have partners on a lot of our, the units in our portfolio. I guess one last question before we move on, how did you guys make out on that flip? Like if you can just run us through the numbers really quickly, what did you guys buy it for? How long did it take? Um, And what'd you guys profit on it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we purchased the property for thirty-three thousand. Ended up getting about forty into the rehab and sold it. It was on market for less than a day and sold it for one thirty-five.
0: That's great an awesome first deal. Great. (laughs) Yeah, it, it
1: worked out. It worked out very, very well. Very well for a first.
2: Yeah. Okay. So so you do that first deal, and then you take some time off before you do your first solo deal which turns into a single family residence. And then from that single family, you start scaling up pretty quickly from a six unit mobile home park, you said to now 50 plus unit mobile home park. So I definitely want to get into that journey of how you went from one to six to 50, because I think that's everybody's goal. But I I guess let's start with that first single family home. The first question is, why do you feel it took you so long after that successful flip to get into the single family home, if you had already kind of proven to yourself that real estate investing is something that you're good at?
1: Simple answer, I was scared, Tony, I was. <laughs> that was pretty much it. I kind of, one night I was, was watching some, actually I was on a webinar with Brandon. He has a webinar on how to close a deal in 90 days and I was actually on that webinar and I just kind of decided, hey, like it's, I'm tired of being stuck. Like we need to make this happen. And that's what it took really. I mean, I was, I had the, I had the means to do it. I was just simply scared. So when I, when I finally made the decision, found a property that worked and closed it about 60 days after that. So,
2: I want to pause on that just really quickly, Ed. I think what you just said is something that a, a lot of rookies will resonate with is that they were just afraid, right? They had the knowledge, but there was something in them that was kind of holding them back. What was it that changed for you mentally that allowed you to kind of build the courage to move forward in spite of that fear? And what would your recommendation be to other rookies that are feeling the same way?
1: I think a big part of it, there's a couple different pieces that kind of got me there. I think a big part of it was having a bit of a support group. So not in terms of not all my friends were doing this, but I had been going to some real estate invest like some meetups, some local meetups and such. And I was meeting other investors who had you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 deals. And so for me to tell myself that, hey, this one deal is scary, it helped it take it from something so big to something kind of minuscule, if that makes sense. And then another part of it is I feel like for me, there was just a certain point where I had to decide it's not going to not be scary when I buy my first one. Like either we're going to do this or we're not. And that's what it really came down to for me was, yeah, it's it's kind of scary. There's a lot of unknowns. You know, I'm young and, you know, it's by far the biggest purchase, but we just have to pull the trigger and make it happen. That's it.
0: You said that you made it work, that, that you got over your fear, you found a deal and you made it work how did you know that it was going to work? Because that's a a big question that a lot of people have when they're jumping into it. How did you verify numbers? Did you consult with somebody who told you it was going to work? How did you know that first deal was going to work?
1: So I had been listening to a lot of Bigger Pockets podcasts. Like I said, I had been networking. I had been taking webinars and just talking with as many people as possible to try to find out how to analyze a deal and stuff like that. I did start once again at about age 18 when I started getting serious about real estate and wanting to purchase my first deal. I started uh, previewing a lot of real estate, so I would go out and look at as much real estate as possible on weekends or whatever to try to, and, you know, spend a lot of time on Zillow, or realtor.com, whatever to try to figure out the market and say, "Hey, this is what a good deal is." When I found this property, I really didn't do that many things right. I didn't have my numbers nailed down to a T. But I did have a have a great general idea of what that market, should, well, what a house in that market should go for. So when I saw, hey, this is bedroom, bath, square footage, and this is the price it's going for, there was a tenant already in it. So you know, even if it's not great condition, I knew it was livable. I saw the number and I said, hey, this this is a good deal. And then, quite frankly, I, there's once again, I think there's a there's a portion where you don't know a hundred percent. I don't think there is a way to know a hundred percent on your very first one. You kind of have to take a bit of a bet on yourself and say, hey. Other people have done it. I'm going to do it, right? We can figure this thing out and come into it with that attitude of understanding. I don't think there is a way to know 100%. We're just, we know the numbers. We know where we're at. So let's figure it out. Let's make this work type of thing. So,
0: (laughs) I think it seems like that you knew that if there was something that went wrong, you would figure it out. You looked at what these worst case scenarios could be, and you knew that you could overcome them, that you could get past it because you had gotten to a certain point where you knew the deal would work. There was just that maybe 5% chance it wouldn't work, but you knew that you were knowledgeable enough and you had the resources and you had the connections and you had that year of analysis paralysis under your belt that you could make it work. And you were very determined to get that first deal. So congratulations to you for getting through that because that is a huge mindset shift for somebody to actually just push forward and go forward knowing that something could go wrong with something. But the fact that you, not even like you planned, but you knew that you could overcome whatever was going to happen if something did go wrong. So did anything go wrong with this property?
1: (laughs) Yes, so after I purchased, there was a tenant already in place. Like I said, I had gotten it at a good price and I planned to keep that tenant there. She made one payment then never paid again. And I was an awful landlord. I didn't act very quickly. And she ended up staying there for about six months without paying anything at all. I collected one, one rent payment, and then I collected half of a rent payment, I think. Other than that, didn't, didn't make a dime from it. So yeah, that went wrong. And I, I didn't handle the situation well at all. But it was a learning experience, excellent learning experience.
2: How did that situation end, Ed?
1: So that, that situation ended, I finally kind of manned up, I guess, <laughs> if you want to call it that, and told her, hey, you either need to leave on your own immediately, or I'm going to file an eviction. Um, I told her, you know, an eviction is not a pretty thing to have on a record. So, I you know, it'd be easier for both of us if you just leave. And uh, she accepted. So, and then she just left.
0: Doesn't that make you wish you would have done that six months earlier?
1: <laughs> <Right>. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Much, much quicker. But yeah. it's what it is. You learn.
2: I want to go back to one, one other thing you said, Added before we move on. You said, it's not going to not be scary when we asked you about your mindset going into that first deal. And then you also said that you just need to take a bet on yourself sometimes. And I think those two points for all of the rookies that are listening are super, super important. Like you should go into it knowing that it's going to be scary. Like it would be more weird if you weren't kind of afraid buying your first real estate investments. I really think that the mindset that you walk into a situation with really dictates how you respond in those situations. And you didn't let the fact that you had this tenant who didn't pay, like stop you from continuing to become a real estate investor. You just understood like, hey, that that's part of the process of, of owning rental properties so is sometimes you do have to evict people. You were just lucky enough to have that eviction happen on your very first, uh, yeah. very first tenant. But I love the I love the approach there. I wanna talk a little bit Ed, about how you scaled, right? Because to go from a single family residence to six pad mobile home park now up to a 50 plus unit, That's pretty cool, right? I guess really quickly, give us the timeline. So how far or how long after your first single family purchase did you get that six unit?
1: Yeah. So a single family purchase that happened in September, 2019, and then June of 2020, uh, sorry, July of 2020, I purchased my six unit and now it is currently June of 2021 and buying the 51.
2: Can you walk us through a little bit of how you made that decision or why you made that decision to step away from the single-family homes and you you kind of moved into the mobile home park space? What was it that you saw about that asset class that jumped out to you?
1: Well, like I mentioned, my older brother had owned a mobile home park when I had invested in that first deal with him. And he has he's since picked up another mobile home park or two. He owns a couple of them now. And I was obviously very interested in it. It wasn't really my target at the time, but he would show me numbers and they made a lot of sense. Plus, on top of that, you know, at my age, you have a hard time and at my day job, you know, I've never made excellent money. So you you have a hard time getting banks to lend you much money. So owner financing is kind of the way to go. And you'll probably find more parks owner finance than any other asset class out there. <laughs> so it just it kind of made sense for me with, with what I was looking to do.
0: Can you break that down for us? Did you approach this person with owner financing or when they were selling it, they said they would do that and what did you negotiate? How did those terms look like?
1: Absolutely. So I used the money from that very first flip and also some money I had saved up just working to buy my single family and I purchased that one cash. After she moved out, I continued to fix up that property so and get it reappraised and everything. So I did own that property outright. And when that when the sixth unit came along I knew an older gentleman that he was starting to liquidate portfolio and I had, had kind of tried to, to build a relationship with him. Once again, my older brother knew him. He had bought a park or two from him and he he liked to owner finance this. So you had to do twenty percent down, owner finance the rest. And that's how he liked to structure the deals. So I had talked to him several times before and kind of tried to stay in contact and say, Hey, whenever you have a park that you want to sell, please let me know. I'll be the guy to I'll be the guy to buy it. Try to, you know, kind of put that bug in his ear a little bit. And he ended up bringing a deal to, actually, he ended up bringing the deal to John, my older brother. And John didn't want to buy it at the time. It was a little bit smaller than something he was looking for. So he handed it straight to me and I got in contact with the owner and we went from there.
0: And what uh, interest rate are you doing on the seller financing for that one?
1: So it was 20% down and then a 5% interest rate on that owner finance.
0: And that's not bad. Yeah, that's maybe a point higher than what you'd get a bank at a bank right now. But also, you don't have to pay closing costs. You don't have to go through the hassle of bank financing. And then, is there any balloon payment or what is it amortized over?
1: That's fully amortized over 15 years, so it'll be it'll be life of loan. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: nice. I guess just one other follow up question onto there. Like in terms of the actual like I don't know like value add play for this mobile home park. Is there an opportunity for you to go in there and, and like increase the revenue or decrease expenses? Like, Where did you see the value in this asset?
1: So with this asset, it's a, like I said, six-unit mobile home park. Uh, I own the land and the mobile homes, so I own both. It is four of the units were good to go. They were all under-rented. And then two of the units needed, the one needed just a bit of rehab. The other one needed full rehab. So, I have since gone in. I've raised rents to market rent. I've redone three of the mobile homes. I've got one left to do. I had two tenants leave, so I redid their mobile homes and I did one of the other ones. And I still have one mobile home to finish the rehab on. But yeah, there was, there was, we right at doubled the income that it was bringing in.
2: Wow. You guys doubled the income. That is amazing. Usually see the ability to double what the rent is. So, you, it sounds like you got to, got to steal there. You keep saying that we went in and, and did this and we went in and did that. Are you doing all of this rehab work yourself or is there someone else that you're working with?
1: No, when I say we, uh, I mean me and my property manager. So really, it's just my property manager going in and doing everything. <laughs> I have a manager that manages all my, all my units for me. Uh, he also does all the rehab. He does everything.
0: Is this a third party property management company or this is someone you hired that works specifically for you?
1: This is somebody that I hired that he works specifically for me and my brother. So he manages all of
0: our stuff. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And then are you guys using any software or anything like that to collect rents or is he going and collecting them? How is all of the backend stuff for the property management working?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually pretty new to that part of things. I'm still getting a lot of stuff figured out, but we are, uh, have been using tenant cloud and that seems to work excellent so far.
0: I've never uh, demoed that one before. I'll have to look into it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's from what I've heard and, and demoed of other ones, it's very similar to uh, they let you go up to 10 properties for free and then it's like $35 a month, so relatively low cost, but they allow you to market properties, collect online payments, everything. And you can do you know, a lot of different separate properties. You can do you know multifamily, you can do whatever. So I've, I've liked it a lot so far.
0: In your mobile home parks for the the one you purchase and the one you have under contract, do these have a public water and sewer or are they private?
1: The 51 unit would be public and then the the sewer would be septic, but it's public. And then the other mobile home park that I own, that one as well, and septic.
0: Oh, so they're both public, so you don't have to deal with any wells or water testing or anything like that. Oh, that's very nice. What I'm kind of looking into now is there's tons of mobile home parks going up for sale, but a lot of them are wells and they have, you have to do the water testing on them daily and you have to chlorinate them and you have to take care of the pump houses and there's so much work that is involved, but you also don't have a water bill. So there's kind of like a trade off. Are you going to pay for somebody to continuously maintain a a private wells, or are you going to go with finding a park that has, Uh, public water on your the for each tenant do they have their own meters on the water or are you paying the full water bill for the park
1: so sorry i think i got it mixed up a little bit the my six unit that one as well oh okay the 51 unit is is public yes Mm -hmm.
0: okay yeah so for your wells how do you handle that do they have to be tested every day maybe it's just new york state because that's where i'm looking right now but what, do you have to do anything special for the wells compared to your park that has the public water?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely some extra testing that has to be done, and we do that regularly. So we generally test at least once a month. It doesn't doesn't have to be daily, at least not here. But and then other than that, yeah, there's repairs that have to be made. Sometimes had to get the well house insulated, had to get the bladder replaced for the well. Had to get you know there's some maintenance that comes into it. But like you mentioned, uh, then we have no bill, so that's nice. To answer the questions about them being metered for like electricity and such, they're all separately metered.
2: Yeah, and I think what Ashley what Ashley's really trying to ask is, uh, is your mobile home park for sale? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything's for sale <laughs> for the right
2: price, guys.
0: <laughs> well, I have one mobile home park under contract right now, and I put in an offer on another one yesterday, and then I have uh, two more I need to write up my offers on. But I've been thinking, because the one that I have under contract, it has a well and septic. So it needs to be maintained and doesn't have any public utilities to it. And so I'm kind of thinking, well, if I'm already going to be maintaining this, maybe I should just buy another one and pay someone to maintain both of them because it'll be worth it to have that overhead if I have more pads instead of just one small park. So. I'm definitely just very curious, and I've been picking people's brains because a lot of the big capital groups they'll only go after public water and sewer because they don't want to deal with the headache of private. But I have a headache every day, anyways. So what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always.
2: Sorry, what's one more? There's always
4: something. Yep. Yeah. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
5: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: I got one more question on the on the mobile home park because again, I think what listeners might be really intrigued by is that you went from a one single family home immediately to these six units what has been maybe the biggest challenge for you and kind of scaling your business, right? Because every time you add another unit, you figure out some kind of process in your business that's broken. So I guess like, what were some of the sticking points as you went from one to six that you feel you can share with uh, some of the listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I purchased that first one, I was self-managing in the first about two months of me owning the mobile home park. I was self-managing as well. i realized very, very quickly that if i want to scale the way that i have wanted to and am scaling that that wouldn't work i had to get systems in place and once that structure was there then maybe i could look at scaling right so that was really my focus soon after closing on that park, that was really my focus is getting systems in place getting a good manager i can trust getting the tenant software in place, making sure I have good tenants at market rates, rehabbing the units if I have to, and just making sure that all my bases are covered and we have systems in place so that we can then scale on top of that. Most of that happened after the purchase of that, of that first one. I definitely figured a lot out on the single family, but there's, so there's a lot of difference between having one tenant and multiple tenants. So,
0: Do you have a plan to go and refinance the park? either one of these that after you've, I mean, you doubled the rent on one of them, are you going to go and pull some equity and pay off the owner financing and then use that equity to go buy another park? Do you have any plans to do that? Absolutely.
1: That is exactly my plan. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: basically burying a mobile home park.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We have relationships with some lenders down here that'll do that for us, fortunately. And exact same thing on the 51. That's going to be our plan on that one as well.
0: The goal to try and grow and scale using to refinance and pull your money out. And I think that's a huge benefit of getting the seller financing is a single family and duplexes. A lot of times they're not as expensive as a mobile home park would be. So it's a lot easier to come with a cash offer. But on these mobile home parks, first of all, sometimes they're hard to get by bank financing on, especially if they have the wells and the septics and you have to get all that testing done before a bank would even put financing on it so be able to have that owner financing and then go and fix it up and to increase the rent and increase the whole value of the park to get that bank to come in and do an appraisal you're not paying that closing cost twice by going and getting bank financing right away then fixing it up and then refinancing again with a bank. So I think that owner financing is a huge, huge resource for anybody that wants to do this with a mobile home park right off the bat. For the fifty one unit, do you want to break down the how you purchased that one and what the seller financing looks like on that one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this was to be honest with you, this was a bigger deal than what I had been looking at. I was definitely looking to purchase. I'm always looking at real estate. I was definitely looking to purchase, but this one here was A lot bigger than what I had been looking at. I did bring in a partner. Ironically, it's my older brother, John. So we are in this. It's my first partner deal. We are in this together. And it was, like I said, it was a lot bigger than what I had been looking at. But at the same time, I can't say no to an opportunity. So I decided, you know, I got in contact with the owner and I told him, you know, I would love to purchase. Can we sit down? Uh, We did. We sat down and talked about it a little bit. I told him, just kind of laid out what would work for me, right? And I told him, I don't, I have no idea if that'll work for you. And if it doesn't, that's fine. You know, It was great meeting you, but this is what's going to work for me. And at the time he said, no, I don't think that's going to work. I said, look, totally understand it. I appreciate you meeting me. We went on our ways, right? Didn't think much of it. About a week later, I got a call from him that, and and he gave me terms that were actually substantially better than what I had told him. So on this one, we are doing a certain amount of dollars down, I think it comes out to about 15% down. And then the rest of the park is owner financed at 0% interest.
0: So did he really just w- want more money down? Is that really what it was?
1: Yeah, he, he wanted a certain amount of money down. And there's, there's reasons for it that I, I can't really say because it's kind of personal right. to yeah. him. Yeah. But there was, yeah, he wanted X amount down. Uh, he really didn't care about getting a lot out of the park as far as total amount. He really didn't care about making interest. He just wanted to collect the check. That's it. And uh, this, I threw it out there. I didn't expect it to get <laughs> him to say yes, to be 100% honest, because the terms are crazy. They really are. But you never know. And this will right. happen to fit his specific situation. He had actually gotten an offer that was better than mine and John's. But he really, whenever you do owner financing, it's somewhat of a marriage for the life of the loan. And he really, really liked me and John. And even after we sat down and had an LOI typed out and signed, some things ended up changing in the financing. And he was more than happy to accommodate because he wanted, he liked us. He wanted to sell it to us. And that was having that rapport with that owner was the thing that's getting this to the closing table.
2: I don't think I've ever met anyone who's gotten seller financing at 0% interest like that. That is isn't like I need to bring you and John with me the next time <laughs> I go, I go negotiate on a deal because that that is amazing. Yeah. But I I think the point though Ed is that you were able. It sounds like you were able to solve a problem for the seller, right? And it was your ability to solve this problem that allowed you to get such favorable terms. And I think when we as real estate investors when we're negotiating with sellers when when we're trying to find the the right terms we should keep the focus on how do we solve the problem of the seller not necessarily how do we maximize our own personal position and if we go into it with that approach i think then it does become easier to build rapport because the seller understands that you're not just trying to like beat them up to get the very best possible deal but that you you genuinely kind of care for what's in their best interest so man kudos to you guys 0% interest for the life of the loan is literally free money. That's yeah. crazy.
0: I was just going to say, I thought that I was really good because I had got three and a half percent on seller financing. And now we know that's not, not good, good enough. enough
1: <laughs> hey, that is excellent to this day. I didn't know people finance, owner finances 0% to this day. I'm still the only person I've met that that's getting that. So I, I haven't ever seen somebody else get that. But I think, Tony, I think you absolutely nailed it with, you have to come at it At least most people are selling because they have something they want to solve, right? Whether it's they're an old landlord and they're tired or they have X bill come into their life and they need to liquidate for a specific reason. I mean, you're spot on there. It really is about that and what it it comes down to being able to approach that and be able to talk to them and say, hey, this is where I'm at. And this is this is what'll work for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But why are you selling, right? Let's see if we can meet somewhere and make something that works well for you and for me. My goal wasn't to get this property a zero percent interest. What I had offered him was actually some interest and he came back and said, I don't really care about that. Let's switch this. Let's let's do zero percent interest and switch this, right? And obviously it worked well for me, but my goal wasn't to to come in and just lowball them and lowball them and my goal was to come in and solve this issue. And as soon as we figured out exactly what his issue was, and he started to open up and we started to open up about where we were, then that's when we came to terms that were fantastic for both him and me.
2: One last question. How long did you guys go back and forth on negotiating that?
1: It was about three weeks, being in contact almost every day. Long, very, very long negotiation. <laughs> At least for me, it felt like a year and a half.
0: I think too, to kind of add on to what you guys were saying about um being open and finding out what their problem is and how to solve it, it's really about listening to make sure that you're listening. And I feel as though our situation is very similar with the recent deals we just did because I took an offer in and ended up leaving with a better offer. And I went there three different times, was there three hours each time at least. But I was listening to everything he wanted, everything he was saying and he wanted a certain monthly amount. That's what it came down to. He didn't really care about interest rate. He didn't really care about the terms. He just wanted. So I should have offered 0% of interest. <laughs> but it was just because I listened to him and that's really what he cared about. He needed some money for to build a house and he needed a monthly amount every month. And I think that is such a valuable thing. And I've it's definitely taking me some time to learn that, to listen and to not just walk away and be like, okay, well, this is what I'm willing to do. You're, you don't want to do that. You don't want to work with me. Fine. And like go on to the next thing. So it's so important to sit down and listen to the person as to what they want. Let them do the talking. Don't try to justify. Don't try to explain why this is going to work for you. Listen to what they want and then try to make the terms fit around because we all know in real estate, there's so many different ways to actually put a deal together, especially as you start learning about different creative financing ways. There's so many things you can do. Jay Scott was just telling me how him and his wife were working on getting this property forever. And this lady just wouldn't sell. Finally, they figured out why she wouldn't. It was because she didn't know how to move. She lived in the same property for, you know, 50 years and she didn't know how to move to another property. And they said, we'll take care of it. You tell us where you want to go. We'll have the movers come. We'll have them pack you up and we'll have them drive the truck. You just follow along and they'll meet you at your new place. They'll unload everything for you. And they got the house. That was the only issue that was stopping this lady from selling. And so I think that's a great reminder to everyone to take a minute and to pause and to listen instead of just trying to rush, rush, rush and get the deal and get it how you want it. So I think that's awesome how you guys have figured out this deal. And like you said, it took three weeks going back and forth, but I'm sure well worth it. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Worth every second.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah so one more follow up on the actual, uh, like how you guys are facilitating the seller financing. I've never done a seller finance deal. So I'm curious what kind of paperwork goes into making this legitimate and then I don't know, just like how are the payments actually handled, and how are you keeping track of the loan balance and all those things? Like walk us through the kind of back end part of setting up seller financing.
1: Yeah, so it's not crazy complicated. You come to terms just with, with the uh, seller, and generally on a deal like this, we'll write up an LOI. It's a letter of intent, and you know you kind of go back and forth, and you can tweak this and you can tweak that and whatever. As soon as you have agreed. On that, then at that point you get both buyer and seller signature date and send that off to whatever attorney you're going to have draft up the contract. Generally, we'll have an attorney draft up the offer to purchase and let him know the terms of the loan as well. We'll make sure the terms of the loan are in that LOI, and he will. The attorney pretty much takes care of all that, all the paperwork, drafting all the documents, and then really from there, you know, you get an amortization schedule just like you would any other loan. It's just in paper form, generally. And from there, it's, it's just like a normal, you, you just go to closing and everything else is pretty much normal from there.
2: Does it get recorded though, like a typical real estate transaction? Like, does the purchase and sell agreement get sent to the, the county's office and like all that becomes public record? Like, is, is the amount of money that you owe to the seller public record as well? Or is it all kind of like behind the scenes?
1: So to my knowledge, it's all public record. I know in my state it is. So it varies state to state. So sometimes in owner financing, the seller will retain title to the property. In, my, in North Carolina, it's called it, it's a title state. So when we close on an owner finance property, that title, that deed goes to buy their capital, my company. And then the only way that the owner could ever get that back, if something were to, were to happen, would be to foreclose just like, normal, just like a normal purchase. In other states, it's different.
2: Ashley, how is it for you? Is it the same kind of process in New York? Yeah, ours is
0: the same. You can take title and they basically hold the mortgage. So they have a note against you and they can file a lien against your property as the, the owner financing, which I'm most in the scenario that I've done it a couple of times. All of the owners had wanted to do that file first lien on the property. And then there are times, especially when you get up into bigger deals like multifamily, you can have the seller take a second position lien where maybe you don't have enough money for the down payment. So you're getting bank financing and you need maybe the seller to hold the second position note for maybe 100000 and then you're going to bring the other 100000 for the down payment. So that's pretty common, too, to see that where there's owner financing for that second position.
2: Well, thank you guys for the breakdown. I'm taking notes here. That way, when I go out and try and get my first seller finance deal at zero percent, I know I know how to break it down to him. <laughs>
0: Tony will be back next week telling us about <laughs> yeah. <what the> seller <laughs> finance zero <team>, percent. <0%. laughs> okay, let's move on to our mindset segment. So, Ed, we just want to know both when you were doing your analyzing, or maybe even before you started researching about real estate. Did you have any kind of big shift where you thought it was going to be like this and expectation and then now that you are an investor that it's actually different than what you thought it was going to be? Yeah,
1: somewhat. I think one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in my own mindset is, first of all, what I thought was big versus what I, what I currently think is big. Your mindset definitely continues to grow. Another thing was really, I mean, it's it's very similar to, but it's it seems so, so, so like before I purchased a piece of real estate, and I was just learning, it seemed so like out there and so big and so scary. And once you get into it, you realize pretty quickly it's not—at least for me, it—you it, know—it's really not nearly as complicated as I thought it was. In reality, it's just doing the work, and it's not—it's not that hard to learn. It's not—it's not that complicated, really. It's not easy. I'm not saying that, but it, it's relatively simple. <laughs>
2: Man, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I've used this kind of analogy before, right? Where people mistake easy and hard with simple and complicated. And just like you said, real estate investing itself is not a very complicated thing to understand, right? Like you find a property, put a down payment, place a tenant, and you get a check right? Like the actual process is not all that complicated, but it is hard to muster up the courage. It is hard to dedicate the time to find good deals. It is hard to put the right processes in place and build the right team. It is hard to save the money you need to get the down payment. Like a lot of these different things are very hard, but the overall concept of real estate investing is pretty, pretty simple. So, I mean, man, that is spot on advice. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to take us into our next segment, Ed, which is the Ricky request line. And uh, for all of the rookies that are listening, you guys can have your call potentially featured on the show. Just give us a call at 8885 Ricky, And uh, if we got a good question, we will share it on the show. So Ed, are you ready for today's question? Absolutely. All right. So here's today's question.
3: Hey, this is Tyler out of Austin, Texas. I was calling to ask you guys the... What the process is, seller financing from, uh, let's say I find in off-market property
1: and I negotiated seller financing, what would be my next step? I think the big misconception that happens with seller financing is that everybody would, love, would just love to do it. I tend to see that a lot where I'll, I'll also have investors that come to me and ask about my seller financing and how I've been able to structure that on these deals. The ticket is from my experience so far has been finding landlords that are done with the business. Pretty much. You're generally not going to get seller finance deal from a 30 or 40 year old guy that plans to go purchase more properties. You might find that occasionally, but it's rare. Generally, when you find owner financing or your target, if you're looking for owner financing, your target needs to be a landlord that's done with the business. Pretty much. He's just tired of tenants and, you know, or he's just retiring from the business And you can structure it to him that way because he's not so much planning on reinvesting the money as he is living off the money. And I think think that needs to be your target seller. And then from there, it's really not that simple. Find what number works for you as far as the amortization and what monthly number works well for you. Present it to him. Go into negotiations if you need to. And once you have something nailed down, just simply bring it to an attorney and have him handle the rest.
0: Yeah. And... Had made a great point there as to who your target seller should be. And I think you have a huge advantage if it is an off-market seller too, because when you tell your realtor you want to put in a seller financing offer and then they relay that to the other realtor and then it's sent to the seller who maybe doesn't even know what that is, all they think is, wait, no, this person's going to owe me money. I've had trouble with these tenants that haven't paid me and that's why I'm selling. I don't want someone else to owe me money now. But if you have the opportunity to be face-to-face with the seller and actually show them what opportunity it is to them, such as the tax advantages where they're not going to pay taxes on a huge capital gain from just the sale of the property right now, you can talk to them getting the monthly payments like they're used to from a tenant rental income and also how they're going to be making X more amount of dollars unless their buyer is Ed and it's 0%. But you can show them the amortization <laughs> schedule and show them that, you know, you're going to make $100,000 more off of the sale just in interest too. So if you have the opportunity for an off-market buyer and to get face-to-face with them and just show them the breakdown on paper, print out the amortization schedule, show them how much you'll be paying down principal, how much they'll be making in interest. Show them at the end of five years, 10 years, what they're going to make in total and how that can keep going on for them. So definitely a a huge advantage for off-market deals to get face-to-face. Okay, so we're going to move on to our random questions. Tony, I'm going to put you on the spot today to ask the first question.
2: Yeah, I I guess my my random question, Ed, and you kind of touched on this already, but I mean, how many of your friends were interested in real estate when you kind of caught this bug? Were you the only one that like, you know, out of the parties on Friday night that tried to bring up real estate or Rich Dad Poor Dad and your friends are looking at you crazy? Just what was that experience like getting started so young?
1: Yeah, most definitely the one and only. I still catch flack for it all the time for talking about real estate. I still get made fun of all the time because they they just aren't interested in it and I absolutely love it. So (laughs) yes, most definitely the one and only. Definitely got picked on for it. Definitely still get picked on for it. I don't mind it for a second. I enjoy it.
0: Ed, my question to you is, do you have any certain buying criteria for mobile home parks? Are you looking for a certain cash on cash return? Are you looking for a certain amount of cash flow per unit? Are you only looking in markets with a population of X? What is your buying criteria for mobile home parks right now?
1: So at the moment... I do have very strict criteria, but it's not, from what I've found, it's not the same as a lot of people's criteria. So I, I need to be able to purchase a deal with no money down. So I need the property to, I need it to cash flow. I need the monthly payment to be X amount to make sure it cash flows the, the right amount. It has to be a value-add project because I'm going to purchase this property. My goal is I'm going to purchase this property, no money down, so private money for the down payment. And then I'm going to rehab the property and we're going to do whatever needs to be done for the value add. Then we're going to go to a bank. We're going to refinance, pay off the private money and the first mortgage, the homeowner's mortgage. And then I'm just going to hold it and let it cash flow. So it needs to be able to hit that, that criteria in order for my strategy to work. That being said, as far as location... I'm pretty open. I've been fortunate. All my properties are within 30 minutes of where I live, but I've looked up to three hours away. Even asset class, whether it's apartments, mobile homes, I'll do it with single family. It doesn't matter. What matters is that criteria that allows me to pull off that strategy.
0: That's awesome. That's great. Thank you uh, for sharing with us.
2: Yeah. And I also love how specific you are with what you're looking for, Ed. I think sometimes rookie investors, they can get caught up in just trying to look for everything you know, like sometimes they're looking for a mobile home park. Maybe other days they're looking for fifty unit apartment complexes and it's like a duplex, then it's this- Tony, a, why are I you describing me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 that shiny object syndrome. <laughs> yeah.
2: But you're you know, I think you get it past actually because you're you've been in the game for a while, right? But like if you're if you've never done a deal before, just pick one thing. Just pick one thing, try and get really good at that one thing, and then once you've gotten that first deal done. Then maybe diversify a little bit, but it's going to be so hard to get that first deal done if the net that you've cast is this wide, right? Like just find that one little thing and find your groove. So uh, thank you for sharing that as well. So,
0: Tony, I just want to say like, I 100% agree with you because that has been a fault of mine is having that shiny object syndrome and like chasing after different things. And when I am narrowed down and I am focused on something very specific, it's amazing how I seem to find more deals and, you know, better things come because I am narrowed down and focused on that. So that is a great point too.
2: But I, I think that's just like anyone who's entrepreneurial struggles yeah. with that. Like <laughs> yeah. I was on Instagram yesterday and I saw some guy posting about how he's got this really lucrative vending machine business. And I found myself like spending maybe like five minutes like Googling like how to start a vending machine business. And I had to stop myself. It's like, I know nothing about vending machines. Like, why am I, why am I even spending time looking at this right that's now? That's what you
0: have to have your son do. Get him started doing that business. I see a lot <laughs> of people have their kids uh, do vending machines. Yeah.
2: That is not a bad idea. See, now now I know what the rest of my day is going to look like. I'm going to be like, Google. No, you have a, him a do it. Have him put for,
0: together for sure. a business plan yeah. and present it a to you to plan. be his investor.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I, that's a great idea. I love, I love <laughs> I that. Ju- I
0: just want to point out this is the second time within a week. Tony has told me I've had a great business idea. So <laughs> <laughs> that is
2: true. <laughs> so if you guys need good business ideas, just hit up Ashley. She'll respond to all emails, DMs <laughs> the, that she gets. All right. So as we wrap things up, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our real estate rookies. So again, for those of you that are listening, if you guys want to get a shout out on the show, just get active in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. There's, I think, over 30,000 people in there now, super active group. But today's real estate rookie is Laura Marie. And Laura purchased Doors 1 and 2 back in August of 2020. Uh, Actually, you're in Buffalo, New York. So I know you're neck of the woods, Ashley. And they just purchased Doors 3 and 4. On April of 2021, down in Tampa, Florida. So the first property was a duplex. They bought it for 140 at 20 percent down. They inherited some tenants, but all seems to be going well. And the second purchase is a is another four unit, and that one's a a house hack. So using different strategies, investing in different markets. So Laura, big kudos to you for uh, for making some progress there.
0: Yeah, great job, Laura. And if anybody else wants to be featured as our rookie rock star, make sure you guys leave us your uh, success story in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Well, Ed, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell everyone where they can find out some more information about you and connect with you?
1: Absolutely. So if anybody wants to connect, more than welcome to Instagram, Edwin underscore Beiler. Facebook, Edwin Byler. I have TikTok in case people want to find me on TikTok. Uh, it's Edwin underscore Byler. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Anybody wants to, more welcome to.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with us and talking mobile home parks. This has been exciting for me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I've counted an honor.
0: I'm Ashley at Wealth Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. Make sure you guys subscribe to our new Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. And we will see you guys on Saturday for another Rookie Reply.